titled this, God is the God of Impossibilities. Because I want you to see tonight, you know, the world has gone mad. The things that are going on in this world, you, you, could, you could be consumed by that. You could be overwhelmed by that. You could look at, at finances. You could look at maybe your health and some challenges you have there. You could look at the news. You could look at a lot of things and, and, and be fearful about tomorrow. But remember who holds that tomorrow and the fact that he is our friend and he created all this, he produced all this, and he knew you were going to be alive today to be living in it. You know, I think that ought to be something that we grab hold of as you have um, just these different things come about, come against you. But I started this, I want to start this with a, with a question. Are you ever afraid? Do you ever let your worries dominate your mind? Does it alter your decisions and cause you to set your plans or make them different? You know, I don't know about you, but even as much of a faith man as I am, and as much as I've seen God do, and as confident and, and, and all the things that I preach, there's still times where I have to ask myself this question, is there, you know, can I do this? Is this possible? And, and at the same time, I look at this and I, and I think, but I know God. The God I serve. I know who, who this God is. Let's look at Mark uh, chapter 10. And I, I had a long conversation with a man uh, here earlier this week. Uh, I sat down in his office and we talked. And, and uh, he and I just both love the Lord and we both have a passion. And, and have compassion on people and a passion to, to reach people and to minister and help people. And, and we both also have some unique uh, uh, perspectives sometimes on the, on the Word of God. And uh, he, 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 I love talking to him because he always challenges me with, with, uh, with thoughts where the Bible's concerned, not as to uh, doctrine or anything like that. He always just challenges me with, you know, what do you think was really happening behind the scenes? How would that have really looked? And this verse here in uh, John chapter 20, uh, 10, verse 27, uh, he had just talked about the rich man. And he just given him the option to come and be a disciple of his and to follow him. And I'm not going to read all this story. But the man went away sorrowful and he said, I can't, we can't, be, I can't do that. I can't give up or sell everything that I have. And Jesus, his response, I guess we'll back up to verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to, since I went there, I wasn't going to, but I, I am now, I'm there. You know, understand something. God does, Jesus was not saying you need to be poor in order to be holy. He, he wasn't saying if you have things, you're evil or you're wrong. He was just saying, don't let those things rule you. And that's what he's saying is this man, and that was the problem with this man, is this man's things were greater to him and more important to him than following Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to be poor. He wants us to have enough that we can help others, but he doesn't, he would rather us be poor than have things control us, right? So we have to, we have to balance that. And that's, that's what he's saying was, was so difficult. But verse 24 says, then amazement, the amazed, this amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for the eye, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I've heard all kinds of different commentaries on that eye of the needle thing, and there was a little window or door, not a little doorway that the camels would kneel down and crawl through or something. I mean, I've heard all that, and, and I've also heard guys that say, well, that's, that's not really what he's saying. He's literally saying, 
a eye of a needle, if you could get a camel through that, is that possible? Well, it's real easy. I mean, Jesus sometimes exaggerated in these illustrations to get the point driven across. It's absolutely impossible. He wanted them to see that there is no way. And you know, I love to think about the fact that God was never stopped by the impossibility. He never considered how wealthy somebody was, how talented somebody was, how, how big the army was, or how fortified the city. He never let any of that. When God said go or God said do, he always backed it. There was nothing too, too difficult, and that's what he's saying in verse 26. His disciples were astonished. Then who in the world can be saved? I love this new living, just so plain. Verse 27 says, Jesus looked at them intently, and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, or with man, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. He's saying, look, you're looking at this only through the eyes of the natural. You know, but I begin to picture this, and I think Jesus, I, I, I even wrote this in there, and Jesus, he looked at them and said, now think about that. If you're, you, you've just questioned what Jesus said, or you've just been astounded by something he said, and he's, he looks at them. I mean, I'm pretty sure that if we were talking to Jesus and Jesus looked at them or looked at you and said, hey, you'd ha he'd have your attention, right? But his response, I, I kind of wrote it in my terms. He said, boys, you're looking at the wrong thing. That's what I, I mean. That's basically that's the way I hear that, because he says, humanly speaking, it's not impossible with God. But not with God. He said, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the things in the natural. You may have a, a, a mountain of debt that you couldn't see any way that it could go away. You may have a medical bill or something that you say, there's no way I can pay this. Are you looking at the wrong thing? You see, I, I've, I've got plenty of examples where it looks so great. Even with a, a plan, you think, well, I, I'll get it, but it'll take forever. I remember school loans. We went back to college, and Sue and I, and, and uh, I, I worked through, but you know, we still took out some loans and stuff. And I, I remember those school loans, and, and, and they gave us like payments of, I don't remember what the payments were. It was only like $12,000. But back when we were kids and first married, I mean, that might as well have been thirty, forty thousand. 40000 and, 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 but, but it was, seemed insurmountable. It seemed so big, yet we whittled away at it over time. And I don't remember. I think it was set up on like a 12-year payout. Not good, right? But we began to look at that, and we began to say, God, I thank you that you're my provider. You're going to supply a way. And I don't even remember now. That's been so many years ago. I don't even remember now how we paid that off. But we did. We paid it off while we were living okay on everything else. There were other times whenever we didn't even know where the, 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 the rent money was going to come from or the grocery money, but God always showed up. There were other times where it was, there was some other thing that was before us, but we learned to not look at the possibilities of man. We didn't limit God to what we can see, what we could do, what was easy. We just tapped into that God. We began to look at the right thing. You know, 
Never, uh, let me make this statement, never look into the future through eyes of fear. I can also tell you stories in times where we made the wrong decision because we were in fear. Sold or bought or did or whatever. Made mistakes because of fear. But you know what? When we, when we look at our future through the eyes of faith instead of the eyes of fear, everything begins to look different. Worry is a traitor in our camp that dampens our powder and weakens our aim. William Jordan said that. I don't know who William Jordan is, but I'm going to give him credit. I tell you what, worry's a traitor in our camp. You know, a lot of times we get, we get to focusing on things, all the what-ifs and all the, all the things that are out there before us. You know, I heard, I heard the quote from, a, or the, the question was asked to a 90-year-old man, and he, and he said, what are the things that, uh, uh, what are the things that you, you uh, felt like, oh gosh, I can't remember how it went. But he said, he, I remember the question, I'll think of it in a minute. But he said, the things that never happened were the things that he regretted. What were your greatest regrets in life? Worrying about the things that never happened. Stopping because of things that I thought might happen bad. Continue to move forward. You know, let's look at 2 Thessalonians. I want to I look over here and turn back towards the back if you're not as familiar with some of these, some of those books. Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians are right there grouped with the three T's. 1 Thessalonians, he says in verse 1, he says, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and honor uh, and be honored wherever we go, just as when it came to you. Pray, too, that we will be rescued from the wicked and evil people, for not everyone is, is a believer. Isn't it interesting? I, I had to read that part, even though it didn't fit my message that much. But in the world we live in today, we got to understand not everybody's a believer. But we want to pray, and we want to make this our prayer for the church and for our lives, that, that the word would go forth, that we'd be effective. But verse 3 is what I wanted to get to. But the Lord is faithful. It was one of the words that, that was resonating in me this afternoon as I'm preparing this message. That the Lord is faithful. He's faithful. Know Him as that Lord who is faithful. The Lord is faithful and He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. I don't know about you, but I need strengthened and I need guarded from the evil one because He comes to what? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. He'd love to get at us any way he can. He'll try, to, he'll try to mess up your family. He'll try to mess up your time. He'll try to mess up your, your, your everything. But we want to we stand against that. Verse 4, he says, And we are confident in the Lord that you are doing the will continually to do, or, or continuing to do the things that we commanded you. May the Lord lead your hearts. Here's another prayer. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. You know, in the moments or in the times where things don't seem like they're moving well or, or don't seem like they're quite working, that's the kind of prayer we want. God, give me, lead me, and help me to have full understanding and expression of your love and patient endurance until things change. We thank you for it. You know, we can pray that way. Now, let's look at three impossibilities, impossible situations in the Bible. Let's go to John chapter 4. 
you know, Jesus was never moved by circumstances. He was never uh, or overwhelmed by circumstances. He was never stopped by circumstances. He never, he never went up to a situation and went, hmm, well, huh, how are we going to do this? <laughs> no, he, he always knew how to respond. But that was partly because we know, or mostly because he was in tune with, or no, not mostly. It was because he was in tune with the Father. And it was because he would spend time in prayer, seeking the Lord. Now here in verse, um, verse, uh, let's go to, I'm trying not to read all of this, but verse 4. He had to go to Samaria on the way, and eventually came to Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field of Jacob, gave to his son, the, the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, uh, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Now notice it says that he had to go there, so he went there for a purpose. He didn't literally have to go there. He could have went another way, but he had to go there. That's where God said to go. He needed to go there. He had to go there. Verse 7 says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me drink. Now, this woman was a woman that wasn't living right. She came to the well at a different time because she didn't want to deal with anybody else. Because she, she was criticized and judged for her life that she'd lived. She wanted to be separate. She wanted to come at a different time. But Jesus knew exactly who he was going to meet that day. And he came to this, this woman with this impossible problem. The woman was surprised, or said in verse 7, I guess the woman uh, came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food, and the woman was surprised. For the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has given you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. So he began to reveal who he was, but he approached her differently than everybody else did. But the point I want to make here is her life created an impossibility by most standards for her to, to come to, to Jesus. She wasn't worthy, worthy because she was a Samaritan. She wasn't worthy because she was sinful. She wasn't, she wasn't worthy by any standard. And in fact, Jews shouldn't even have associated with her on both of those counts. But sir, she says in verse 11, you don't have a, a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestors Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals than they enjoyed? Verse 13 says, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I'll, I will give, I give, will never be thirsty again. It, became, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He is revealing to her what, uh, that salvation can be hers. She doesn't know it yet, but that's what he's, he's, he's illustrating. She gets the aha moment a little bit later on. Jesus finally reveals to her, I'm the Messiah. And that's the first time he actually acknowledged it to anyone. 
And he acknowledged it to this woman, and that's, that's pretty amazing. But see, she had a problem. And if she'd have been asked, do you deserve this? Are you worthy of this? Like all of many of us, we'd say there's no way. See, the impossibility was that, that she could receive and be the, the first to, to receive Jesus as the Messiah, really, in, in all accounts. But you know, he didn't care about her sin. He only cared about her soul. And I think that some people, and, and the impossibility sometimes in people's minds is that I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I can't be saved. My sin's too great. My life's too, too, too messed up. I'm too this, I'm too that. And I don't want to go through this whole story, but I want you to understand, with God, all things are possible. That one that you, that you may be praying for is the same way. You may, you may think of that person. Maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a, a, a son, a grandson, maybe it's a, a, a parent, maybe it's somebody, and you say, I don't know how they could ever be saved. Maybe it's because they just continually reject God. But with God, all things are possible. You know, her problem uh, could have only been answered by Jesus. All He was willing, but all she had to do was be willing. You know, for every... I, I want us to see here that for with every sin, God's greater. I sang about the blood. I sang about the name of Jesus. That's what's so exciting about, about knowing Jesus and getting to know Jesus is that, that His blood covers all sin. There's none too great. There's, there's, none too, there's none too far gone. We're all able to come to Him. And when we do, we can receive. You know, uh, we just got to make sure that we don't let doubt and fear get in the way. She eventually receives the, the fact that He is who He says He is, and, and God transforms the whole village through her and her witness. Now I want us to go to, to uh, Matthew chapter four, uh, Matthew chapter four, and I think I've got that wrong in my notes. I think it's a different chapter, but go to Matthew chapter fourteen. Matthew chapter fourteen. When you'll have to catch up. Verse thirteen. Maybe she figured it out when she was reading, reading my notes. But, uh, yeah, she did. Good job. She gets an A for tonight. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a, in a boat and were into a remote place to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. Uh, on foot from many towns. And Jesus saw the huge crowd and he stepped from, when he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. That evening, so he steps off and he begins to minister and he begins to heal and he begins to love on the people and compassion moved him. But in verse 15, it says, The evening the disciples came to him and said to him, This is a remote place where it's already getting late to send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and find food to eat. But Jesus turned to them and he said, This, is, this isn't necessary. You feed them. them. You sending them away is not necessary. You feed them. Now, the, the heading says Jesus feeds the 5,000, but I always say it's Jesus and his disciples that fed the 5,000. That's what you've got to understand. Jesus could have done this all by himself, but that's not the way he chose to operate. And he still doesn't. He wants you. People say, oh, God doesn't need us. 
I think he does. Not because he can't do it on his own. He didn't want to. He needs us because he wants you to be and I to be the hands and feet of Jesus today. And he, he was there. So he said, you don't need to send them away. You feed them. But they said, we only have five loaves and two fish. Verse 18, bring them here to me. He told the people to sit down on the grass. And we know the story. He spread them out into groups. And he told his disciples here, he took the bread and he blessed it. He broke it. It multiplied, and they fed the 5,000 plus the women and children, and when they got done, they gathered up 12 baskets left over. You know, here's the thing. You may have an impossibility, but when we bring it to Jesus and see what the Lord says, we know that God can be at work in that. You know, worry is, is, is faith in the negative. Listen to this statement. Trust, it's trust in the unpleasant. It's assurance of disaster and it's belief of defeat. That's what worry is. Worry is a magnet that attracts negative conditions. But faith is a powerful force and it creates positive circumstances. Worry is wasting time today, uh, time, uh, today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunity with yesterday's trouble. Now think about the, the difference in worry and, and, and faith. See, we gotta, we got to keep our eyes on the prize. we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And that's what I want to get to in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I want to get over here to this before we wrap this up. Matthew chapter 14. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, so hold your place there in Matthew 14. And go to Romans chapter 12. I forgot we were going to actually turn over there because I, I began to... Uh, I'm sorry, not Romans, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm just checking y'all out, see if you're, see if you can, how good you are at flipping around from one verse to the next. <clears throat> and I don't know if Whitney, she's just waiting for me to set verse 12 or verse one of chapter 12 in Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. You know, when I think about these verses, and, and, and this verse, of intent, he just got done reading about all the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He said, these are the witnesses, these are the examples, these are the ones that, that, that we see how they stood and how they believed and how God did amazing things in their lives. He says, since we have such a great cloud of these witnesses of the life of faith, he says, strip off or set aside, lay aside every weight and every care and every sin and everything that would hold you back. You know, I know a lot of people that, that can't get out of their own way. They won't let themselves be forgiven. They won't, they won't give things up to God. They, they're too proud to ask for help. There's all these little things that weigh them down. It won't allow them to, to get where they're going to, to, to accomplish what they need to accomplish. And I say, let those things go. Lay them aside. And then he goes on, he says, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The, the, the King James says, looking unto Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We say, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you in this. 
It's consuming you. you. You see the mountain or you see the problem, you see the circumstance, but then you look to Jesus. And when you look to Jesus, you know that no sin's greater. You know that no financial burdens greater, no health conditions greater, no, no mental challenge, no, no strife between now. He says, keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. You know, Jesus was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. When he said it's finished, it was done. Well, I tell you what, when we understand that, you see, uh, we got to keep our eyes on him. And I want to close with just this thought. We've got to erase the I can'ts. Let's look back at, at, at uh, Matthew chapter 14. And we're not going to read the whole story of Peter walking on the water. But Jesus walked on the water first. It says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 24, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land. The strong winds had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. You know, there's times in, in life when, when there's a lot before us, and we can, but we can always know that God's with us. Jesus shows up. They're in fear for many reasons. The waves, the wind, and they think Jesus is a ghost. But verse 27 says, Jesus spoke to them, and he said, don't be afraid. I don't know how he responded. I don't know what the tone was. It was like, don't be afraid. I don't know if it was, don't be afraid. There have been a few times whenever I've had to get a little bit stern with myself or my kids or my wife or, or somebody I was praying with, don't do that. Don't be afraid. I don't know how, depending on how much they were paying attention. Maybe he said, you know, it doesn't say he said it twice, but I, I just wonder if he, if he said, don't be afraid. And they were so, they were screaming, oh my, whatever, you know, oh, oh, and screaming so much, they couldn't hear him. So maybe he said, don't be afraid. Sometimes we may need to hear it kind of like that. But then he said something else that's very powerful. He said, take courage, I am here. Really, that reminds me of what he said over there in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. With man, things are impossible. With God, all, or impossible. With, God, or with man, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Here he says, take courage. Take courage. You know, that paints a picture for me that he's throwing it at them. He's sending it to them. Take it. Will you receive it? I think sometimes we're, we're trying to be, you know, southern and polite. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's kind of like I tell people, you know, if I come to your house and you offer me peach cobbler and, and, and ice cream, I'm probably going to say, oh, no. <laughs> but I'm only going to say it once. <laughs> Next time you go, oh, yeah. I say, okay. All right. Okay. That's it. No, see, here's the thing. I think sometimes we, we build this, this idea that we, 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 we can push that off. Oh, no, I'm strong enough. Really, that's what our pride is saying. No, I got this. Or, or, or we'll say, no, I'm not worthy. 
or we'll say whatever. We'll, we'll put something in the in the disc if in the, between that. But he says, "Take courage," and he says, "I am here." And we know that "I am" is that great word that means the all-sufficient one. To them, it was they were hearing Yahweh, they were hearing Jehovah God, they were hearing the one who is limitless, the same God that split the Red Sea, the same one that that delivered them out of Egypt, the same one who did all those things, defeated the Pharaoh's army, and knocked down the walls of Jericho. As I close this, I just want you to, to, to know that we know the rest of the story, I, or maybe you don't. The rest of the story is that Peter said, let me come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on. And he stepped out of the boat. He walked on the water. Then he let fear and doubt come in and he began to sink. Jesus lifted him up and they walked back. I don't want to. I don't, want to be, I don't want to negate that story by not mentioning that, but I want our focus to be on the fact that Jesus is here for us in every situation and every circumstance. Your situation's not too great. It may be too great for you, but it's not too great for you with God. So why are you not with God? Will you take the courage? Will you look at that impossibility? Will you look at that thing that there's no way that you could do it on your own? And then bring God into the equation? Boy, I tell you what, God just loves it when we do that. Oh, there's no way I can be forgiven. Oh, there's no way I can be healed. Oh, there's no way that I can overcome this financial burden. Oh, there's no way that I can heal that, that relationship, that situation. But God, when we give it to God, it's entirely different. God begins to be in the equation and, and so much different. I, I wrote a few things down I want you to catch. This, the woman with the issue of blood, a whole different story, was too sick. The demoniac, the one they called Legion that had the, the, the huge number of demons, he was too bound. Zacchaeus was too lost. And, Zach, and uh, Lazarus was too dead until Jesus showed up. When he showed up in every one of those situations, there was no demon that could still bind the man. Lazarus didn't stay dead. Zacchaeus, though no Jew would, would have brought him in, Jesus said, I'm going to your house. And the woman with the issue of blood that the doctors said there's no way and she spent everything she could to be healed, was healed. So no matter what our situation I want you to see that God's a God of, of possibility. That every time you face something that's impossible, remember the God you're with. Let's go before the Lord and let's pray. Father, we just thank you and we praise you that, Lord, as, as we come before you tonight, that, that Lord God, we just thank you that we, we, can, we can think of so many situations. And maybe even if it's not your life, think about somebody else's. The impossibilities. Can you approach their prayer need? With that kind of faith, to say, God, I know, and the, the doctors say there's no way, but I'm going to trust you. I know, God, that, that, that there's no way, but I'm going to trust you. I, I know that in the natural, it seems like that it couldn't happen, but I'm going to trust you. Father, I thank you and I praise you that there's all these things are impossible until you show up. That, Lord, whatever we have need of, you provide. And so, Father, when I look into my life 
And I look into my future. I don't look with eyes of fear. I look with eyes of faith. I don't look with the eyes of question. I look with, God, with, with uh, eyes of, of knowing that you are there with me. Now, Father, I pray that if there's anybody within the sound of my voice who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord, that tonight that they'd realize it's not impossible, but it's very possible to be saved, to be a child of God, to be forgiven, to be restored, to be healed of all the things that you think might keep you from getting to heaven. The Bible made it very clear. We simply confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, my life, and be my Lord and Savior. I call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says that we can be saved. So, Father, I pray that anybody who makes that decision, that prayer, that, Lord God, they'll know that they can be saved, but they'll also know that they can come to us for help. And we'll continue to enrich their lives with the Word of God and guide and direct them into that truth. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.